we've learned anything from these past couple of years, my fellow Americans, is that personal medical freedom and liberty are in crisis. America Out Loud Pulse brings together the top experts in healthcare-related fields to keep you a beat ahead. report actually as we came on with the state of Massachusetts uh, with a rise in cases and a rise in deaths and so on and so forth and I'm sure a lot of states are feeling that um, all over the nation a lot of questions we have for you today on this program here America Out Loud Pulse welcome in here it is Malcolm Out Loud along with my co-host Dr. Peter McCullough it's good to be with you, uh, my friend. And um, so let's start with the um, pa- Paxlovid, uh, the uh, the rebound on this, and I have a few interesting questions on this, but uh, what are you seeing on this? The CDC May 24th, Malcolm, put out a health advisory, the first health advisory we've had on uh, an EUA-approved oral drug, and this was for Paxlovid. Paxlovid is a combination of nermatrelvir plus ritonavir. Uh, these are both oriented towards uh, enzymes that help the Uh, virus replicate. They don't do anything about inflammation or blood clotting. They're simply antivirals. But on May 24th, they said that Paxavoid rebound can happen, meaning that patients initially get better and then they will get worse two to eight days afterwards. It's only a five-day course of treatment. Exclusively, it's happened in the vaccinated. And during this phase where they rebound, they're also infectious. They base their findings on papers by Gupta, in Charness from the Boston VA and by Carlin from the University of California at San Diego. And the reason why this came to public uh, attention is that our director of the National Allergy and Immunology Branch, uh, Mr. COVID, who's been uh, basically leading the COVID response, he's quadruple vaccinated. He gets COVID-19, he gets better on Paxlovid, and he has classic Paxlovid rebound. And I was asked to provide commentary a couple of times. I said, wait a minute, we never had rebound with hydroxychloroquine or um, ivermectin. And then the other thing that was missing was drugs in combination. We've always said a single drug doesn't do it, that we use drugs in combination. And I can tell you, I saw a case of rebound in my office, this case, this time in an unvaccinated person who had heart failure and other problems. And uh, I ended up putting him on a 30-day course of hydroxychloroquine. So I tell you, the old tried and true methods of ivermectin hydroxychloroquine for 5, 10, uh, or 30 days, depending on age and risk factors, plus other drugs in combination, prednisone, as well as aspirin, uh, antithrombotics, these really uh, make the difference in that we've seen a mistake here with our EUA process trying to rely on clinical trials. You know, the uh, Paxlovid randomized trial that the registrational trial is called the Epic HR trial, Malcolm, it was done in people age 45 and they were all unvaccinated. And here our NIH division head is completely off the science. He's not following the inclusion and exclusion criteria. So he's taking it being fully vaccinated. He wouldn't even qualified for the trial. And here he is well over 80 trying to get results of somebody who's age 45. You know, it seems to me like a lot of these stories, when we talk about them, uh, it, 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 I don't know, I just, it always seems to me, it comes back to a lot of the signs or the stats point to the vaxxed, uh, getting more of them. And I guess it comes back to the old equation. Sometimes doing nothing is better than getting vaccinated for sure. But am I, am I missing something or is that correct? I mean, almost always it's more of the vax that are getting these things, uh, the problems, the challenges, I'm saying. It, 
It is true with BA4 and BA5 subvariants of Omicron, the vaccinated are basically the majority of the cases. Uh, You don't hear about crisis of the unvaccinated anymore. In fact, the unvaccinated are looking pretty good. But two more papers uh, for the viewers to be aware of, one by Buka in the New England Journal of Medicine and one by Hay from Harvard in preprint, both showing that the vaccinated are more infectious longer. They actually hold the virus in their nose and mouth when they get sick and they're more infectious longer than an unvaccinated person. That may be occurring due to a process called immune imprinting. Two papers to quote here, Adillo and Wheatley in 2021. They said, if we keep vaccinating with the same genetic code for the same extinct obsolete spike protein, the immune system is going to be imprinted and the immune system is going to be misled. So when you get the real virus, which is now mutated and much different than the original virus, the immune system can't mount a decent response. So you're more infectious, longer, more likely to have Paxlovid rebound. It's bad all the way around for the fully vaxxed. Now, what you just said is so important to me anyways, uh, in regards to these, and I've seen this now over a series of programs and talking to you that these vaccines have never kept up with the various variants and things. And here's what's so really odd about all this. They keep pushing it. And it's like, it's weird. It's like, it's like this massive agenda they're pushing onto the populace, but yet it's not even the latest and the greatest, uh, Peter. I mean, it's always... Uh, three times removed or something, or it's like way down the road and we're still talking. I mean, isn't that the strangest of, of, of strange things that you, you've seen with us? Even even flu shots are more updated <laughs> than these COVID vaccines. You know, there's something about this where from the very it's beginning, weird. it wasn't about excellence. Do you know both Pfizer and Moderna have had millions of lots returned because of debris in the bottom and poor manufacturing standards. They haven't updated it. They recently just had an FDA meeting and they said, listen, we couldn't deliver Omicron uh, updated vaccines in March like they said they could. Now they want to do what's called bivalent, kind of mix the old stuff with the new stuff. We don't need any old vaccine because it's not working. They want to do this kind of mixture with an Omicron uh, targeted uh, uh, genetic code mixed with the old genetic code. And they want to be able to do this. The vaccine manufacturers want to do this with no clinical trials now. So they just want to say it's 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 basically substantially similar to what's on the market. So we're off the rails from a regulatory and science perspective. Off the rails. Off the there there it is right there. We are off the rails. And I mean, this, if if there's any point that should prove the point that things are stranger than strange, it's the one we're talking about right now because. That agenda never stops. They keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. Yet these variants and the vaccines, it's like the vaccines are three variants before. It's like, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. And uh, let me get to a couple of, a few questions here on the um, Paxlovid. Uh, this one's from Dolly. It says, is the uh, Omicron protocol the same as the Delta variant? My husband is 85 years old, was prescribed the Paxlovid again uh, in June. Uh, the the uh, COVID test on the 26th, his test was negative, but now he is very down. I had to mention uh, he got Delta back in February 21, was prescribed I- ivermectin. Uh, thank you for your response. What do you say to that? Is the Omicron protocol the same as the Delta variant they're asking? Yeah, the, the protocol is largely the same. We're finding that we don't need to use the serious anticoagulants like Lovenox or uh, Pixaban or Rivaroxaban. <laughs> 
which is good. The protocol is uh, largely the same. I, I do have to say we're relying a lot more on the nasal washes now. We're doing uh, having patients do that every four hours. Today, I had a new patient and said, oh, I have a nasal polyp. I can't do that. Uh, and I said, okay, but it's rare that someone can't do the nasal washes. But we still are finding people, uh, whether it's the first or second infection, Malcolm, high fever, generalized weakness, occasional patients with pulmonary involvement. So it's still happening. Oh, no, 100%. I listen, I hear from people all the time, and those symptoms are, are always there, and people are suffering, and still today. I mean, I, we get the uh, responses every day. And All right, this one is from Christopher. I did regretfully get the first two Moderna vaccines in early 2021. The second shot gave me 36 hours of flu-like symptoms. I recently contracted COVID and was prescribed, again, Paxlovid, just what we talked about. My only symptoms were severe sore throat and fever around 102. After three days, my symptoms became mild and continued to improve. And after six days, I had no symptoms, but tested positive. Then on day nine, I began to have low-grade fever uh, and on se uh, several times a day. Now on day 13, I'm still testing positive and still have occasional low-grade temperatures. My doctor says, wait it out. It's just a Paxlovid rebound. I, I now have ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and, and um, azithromycin. What do I do now? Please help. Yeah, I can tell you, I've, that's exactly the case I saw in the office. And, and, and it, it, he's classic because he's fully vaccinated. That is Paxlovid rebound. He's still infectious. Uh, I like for these because people are on a longer course, hydroxychloroquine for 30 days, uh, basically 200 milligrams twice a day for 30 days. That's my preference. Um, you know, the, you have to get something in the system that's going to last a long time. Hydroxychloroquine lasts in the body far longer than ivermectin does. And it's going to give you a longer runway to, to, uh, to clear the infection. I didn't know that. So that's why you recommend that instead of the ivermectin in this particular case. Yeah. My clinical experience tells me it's starting to work better. You know, on the Paxlovid rebound, there's basically no risk of pulmonary involvement. People just are febrile. They have a sore throat. They don't feel good. Mm -hmm. and, and they're achy all over. That's perfect for hydroxy. The ivermectin is much more dynamic, but it's an early drug. You know, someone, okay. uh, hot fever, trouble breathing, boom, we like to just hit them with ivermectin up front. But once we're in this longer tail, go to the longer acting hydroxy. Oh, that's good. Okay. All right. And when I know ivermectin works because it saved my wife in, in a big way and so many others I, I do know. Um, this one's from Lori. She says, I, I have a hard case of COVID right now, day two, not vaccinated. Doctor saying I could get the monoclonals or plaques. Uh, I think she's saying, she said plaques something. I think she's saying plaques of it, what we're talking about here. It's hard to know who to trust. Well, that's for sure. I'm 63. I have a lot of pain in my joints, headache, nausea, tight chest and cough. I hear you, Laurie. I, I thought Omicron was supposed to be mild. I feel awful. I'm a Christian. I do not, not want anything to do with fetal parts. I have ivermectin and, and hydroxychloroquine, but I'm so nauseous, uh, nauseous, uh, hard to get down. What are your thoughts about this uh, Plexavid or something or monoclonal, she's saying? Well, you know, she's acutely ill and uh, Paxlovid uh, does have a lot of side effects and in drug interactions. The monoclonals do rely in development on fetal tissues. So uh, she, she probably is not going to want those. Although I think both are, again, are safe and effective. I think for her, the ideal drug with a nausea would be ivermectin. She's hot. It's early in the course. Ivermectin will go down with a, some cheese or some yogurt. She'll be fine. 
Yeah. What's going on with Omicron right now? The, the, the other headlines on this is it's hitting more of the vaxxed again, back, back to what we talked about a bit, of, a bit ago here. Are you And I see some of these reports coming from certain states. I mean, really, those uh, nationwide. What are we seeing as in current cases? Are we seeing more of an uptick or? We're just seeing a, a longer, broader plateau. We had this a huge Omicron rise of BA1, BA2 in December and January went down and then we had the secondary rise and now we're just riding it out. You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing the fully vaccinated get it, but I'm also seeing the unvaccinated holdouts get it. I have some people who literally have been so fastidious, they haven't gotten it for two years. And they contact me and say, Dr. McCullough, we don't know how it happened, but we've got COVID. Yeah. Yeah, I've seen multiples like that, actually, who sent in to me and they got it like in their shock. A lot of these people thought they would never get it. And they're like, like super shocked that they got it all of a sudden. And many of them get panicked. But the one good thing is if you get it now is you've got a far less severe variant. Isn't that the case? It's true. It's far less severe, but also you have more time to get supplies. I can't tell you how many people say, I I said, why don't you start the nasal washes, start the uh, zinc, vitamin D, vitamin C, quercetin, famotidine. Oh, where do I get all that? It's like, gosh, come on, everybody, get your shoebox together. We're in our third year of this. Get the McCullough protocol, download it. Uh, It's on the America Out Loud website. You can uh, get all the resources, get your shoebox together, and let's not be surprised. That's exactly it. That's exactly it right there. I think everybody has to be prepared for these things here. Um, Carol says, I'm unvaccinated. Um, Has there been, uh, oh, no, she's saying in unvaccinated individuals, has there been higher cases of reinfection with the new variants? Is natural immunity still long-term or is it waning with the new variants? Natural immunity is better than vaccine immunity. There was a paper by Qatar showing the uh, efficacy, if you will, of the natural infection was about 60% against the Omicron, whereas the vaccine is you know, sub 50%, probably sub 25% in most studies. So the, the people who are naturally immune, there are some that are in great shape and they're not getting Omicron. Now of interest, people who've had Omicron, we have one small study from South Africa, but it's holding up. Once you have Omicron, you're not gonna get another case of Omicron. And then you also have back immunity against Delta. So if you hold on now, you just said if you get Omicron once, you're not going to get it again. So far, the family of subvariants, BA1, 2, and 3, 4, 5, and then XE, XD, and XF, they're holding out, meaning they're sufficiently similar. You don't get a second case of Omicron. Okay. Now, uh, you know, never say never. Uh, there could be the next subvariant that comes <laughs> along and you could get another drippy nose. But the bottom line is it's getting to be like the common cold. Mm. Many people are saying, listen, I've had prior proven cases. It feels like a cold. I'm going to do some nasal washes, do some over-the-counters, and just treat it like another cold. Yeah, you know, I chuckled there because, you know, I remember how declarative we were early on with Delta when things were what they were. And we said, well, you can't get this a second time. And then the rules changed, of course. What do you think at this point? You know, on this point of the rules changing, I'm actually, and and tell me on this if I'm thinking right, I'm actually... A little shocked, quite surprised, actually, but more shocked that at this juncture, three years in, we're still even talking about people getting this. I'll tell you, honestly, I thought we'd be down the road, like, I don't know, and like talking about something else at this point. Well, what did I miss? Yeah, people want to be over this topic. I think people just say, listen, they want to move on with life. There's 
other things that are more interesting. As long as uh, they aren't being hospitalized and people aren't dying with the illness. You know, in Texas, uh, most days we have zero deaths now due to COVID. An occasional nursing home patient will be uh, um, hospitalized. Recently, it swept through the nursing home where my, both my parents are in North Dallas. And I get the report, Malcolm, and I talked to the doctor. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, pretty much everyone's getting it. All the vaccinated and unvaccinated are getting it. I said, anybody hospitalized? He goes, no. So wait a minute, you said no deaths in Texas now, but wait a minute, I, just before I come on air with you, I seen in uh, Massachusetts, they had like uh, 15 deaths. So uh, I guess it varies, right? I mean, we don't really know. It, it varies, you know, 15 deaths is low. We, we, at one point in time, we were having you know, 500 to 1,000 deaths wow. a day. Wow. Um, but let me just uh, uh, check what we've got. Uh, you can do these COVID trackers or um, they're actually all pretty good uh, in terms of, now they're over counting things. Um, but we can, uh, you know, take a look at it um, and uh, and see. But when I testified in the Texas Senate on June twenty uh, seventh, uh, you know, I, I relied, I had to rely on some some data to, you know, be able to testify. And uh, you know, most days we're at zero. I'm at a major medical center. I can uh, ask people who are on the unit what are they seeing, mm-hmm. and uh, the death rates will be low. Remember, if anybody who dies has it, even if they've died of other causes, they're going to be called a COVID death. I know this, Malcolm, because I just had a death in my house. It was really sad. My father-in-law died. He's at the end of life. He had a wonderful life, age 98. Mm-hmm. I just went through the process yesterday. And, mm-hmm. you know, and anybody who's been through this, they know, you know, you have to call the police and then you've got to call the paramedics and they have to go out. There's, there's just a lot of orchestration involved when someone dies in our country. Yeah. And, um, and uh, uh, at any rate, I can't tell you how many times I was asked, has he had a fever? Has he had an infection? Has he had COVID? And I kept saying, no, no, nope. He died natural death. He had heart disease. He died a natural death. And boy, were they looking for COVID, Malcolm. Doesn't that tell you plenty? Well, it does. I mean, it just goes to show you, you know, th- this is uh, a situation where it's set up from the very beginning to overcount COVID. Mm-hmm. Even at yep. the funeral home, yep. uh, you know where, where the body went, they kept asking, "Are you sure it's not COVID?" Because they know that there's a financial kicker if we say it's COVID. Yeah, yeah, that's a, we've been reporting on that from the early days. That that's very clear what you say there. Um, yeah, now listen, um, life is is precious. I mean, and I just you know I knew the, the last couple of days been tough for you and your family. Uh, Brother Peter, I know that uh, in regards to um, your, your wife's dad and uh, uh, 98 is a beautiful life, uh, you know, and I was just talking to someone this morning, in fact, I mean, life expectancy of a man, I think it's still around 79, I believe 78 mm-hmm. and a half, I think it is off the top of my mind. And women is about a year and a half uh, later, right? You know, I think about 80 or so, something like that. Right. And of course, they always get a year and a half because, uh, you know, they drive us nuts. So we get stressed and they live longer. <laughs> Uh, but that's another story for another day. And, you know, I, I had a very dear friend. I had a message this morning. I didn't get a chance to talk to you, Peter, about this before coming on the air here. But a very dear friend fought leukemia twice. Um, you know, just a beautiful, beautiful person. I mean, really beautiful person and a dear friend. And fought leukemia twice, one survived, um, and now has just got cancer in his chest. It's, it's a gentleman, just got cancer in his uh 
in his, che- in his uh, uh, breast area, left breast area, totally unrelated to leukemia. This guy was a fighter, fought one twice. Now he's got to go through a whole uh, series of things. And, you know, it just really got me down today, Peter. I got to tell you, coming well, on with you today, you know. You know, cancer patients, Malcolm, will know yeah. that the chemotherapy and radiation and other treatments they, they get can actually lead to secondary cancers. And that sounds like this is a case. You know, I got to tell you, my my wife's father, 98 years old, had heart disease and uh, he died in his sleep. Uh, no wow. commotion, wow. no pain, no agony. It's almost as if his heart stopped. And I got to tell you, if you lived in 98 and you go in your sleep, a completely yeah. painless death, that's the way to go. I'm looking July 4th. He, de- he died yesterday, July 4th. There were zero COVID deaths in Texas, zero. And so he was not you know, going to be listed as a COVID death because they didn't have COVID, the seven-day moving average for deaths in Texas, 11. And this is from the CDC COVID tracker. So I'm telling you right now, there's plenty of COVID, but we're treating. And I want to give credit. If if um, Paxlovid is making a difference, that's fine. We're still using plenty of hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, prednisone, doxycycline, the other drugs in combination. I do think McCullough Protocol, FLCC, frontline doctors, the, the word is out. The average person knows now, Malcolm, this is treatable and they should seek early treatment. Amen. Hallelujah for that. We've learned that uh, some the hard way, uh, but we surely have learned that. I jumped all over that with my wife that saved her life, actually. And, you know, I look back at those moments, Peter, and they're, they're, uh, they're blazoned on my memory. Those days I went through with, with my wife, just, just, I mean. Oh, she had it, you know, back when mm, she had it. Wow. Malcolm, back back when she had it, I'm just looking at the Texas uh, data. Uh, when I personally had it, mm-hmm. back uh, in uh, October of, of 2020, we were at um, yeah. uh, we were at 111 deaths per day in Texas. Wow! With the alpha outbreak, it rose to 327. Mm-hmm. It was down, and when you and D had it with the Delta outbreak mm-hmm. in, in Texas. Those death numbers rose to four thirty-six, four thirty-six per day. So it's night and day. It's not Omicron. It is milder, and we are treating it. And there are occasional deaths, but night and day. Yeah. Oh, totally, totally. No, I get what you're saying. I mean, we were in the heart of Delta when we got it, right? You know, I mean, the heart of Delta. You know, and she got it really, really hard. I mean, because it got into her lungs. It gets into your respiratory tract. And then into your lungs. And this is so important, but that's why people are still dying from this because, you know, COVID is, it's not a, it's not the, you know, people who go around thinking it's just a flu or a cold, you are totally wrong, totally wrong. This is, this is a bioweapon that is designed to do harm to the human body and the human mind, our brains. Uh, you know, COVID in the brain is a problem as well. I mean, you, you get long COVID and you get all this brain fog going on. And I mean, it's a serious problem. I've seen it upfront and personal. And, you know, you have to fight to get through to the other side, which I did. And I have a really appreciation for this, Peter. I have really appreciation having gone through it with my wife. And of course, I had it as well. But I mean, she almost died with it. We were lucky by the grace of God to get her through to the other side. I never forget that moment when I look at her today, how close we were to death. And you remember the calls I made to you at three in the morning, you know? I, I can tell you, you know, the, the difference was you pulled through, you were pretty sick, you were breathless, yeah. you were pretty sick, yeah. but she had impaired chest wall mechanics yeah. with that motor vehicle accident. You yeah. know, anybody who uh, has had rib fractures, people with emphysema, yeah. 
heart failure, cystic fibrosis. My patient who got pretty sick, he had heart failure, he had a cardiomyopathy. These are the people that we do have to jump on pretty quickly. And it's, it's very important that, you know, we get it within the first three days, we can snuff it out. But uh, even Omicron can land people in the hospital. Right now, the vaccinated are doing worse than the unvaccinated. I don't know if anybody saw the story today, but the Canadian health minister uh, speaking in French was translated. He said, listen, we will never be fully vaccinated. These vaccines, he's now saying every nine months for everybody. And, and, and people were just so, so miserable hearing that news. Yeah, I, I just can't imagine in my wildest imagination uh, to want to go out and get vaccinated at this point. Uh, this is just my opinion, friends out there, but I would say don't do it. That's again, this is me. This is you've got to make your own decision. In fact, there's an interesting um, listener comment on what I just said, who went against what I just said. I'll, I'll share with you when we get back from a pause here in a moment. Very, very interesting. Um, listen, a uh, lot of things you can do. Uh, to fight these things. And I've learned so much about all of this with, with um, uh, COVID and the hit on our immune systems in our body. Uh, I, I would be amiss not to tell you about Immune Super Boost and, and only because there's an independent July extravaganza I will share with you right now. And then, um, all right, so, you know, a robust immune system is the biggest uh, defense you're gonna have against anything. I don't care if it's a superbug, a virus, influenza, flus, SARS-CoV-2, you name it. You've got a healthy immune system, you're gonna fight it and you're gonna have a good shot to kick its ass, quite frankly. And if you don't, you might pay the price. Immune Super Boost has vitamin C, vitamin D3, zinc, echinacea extract, elderberry extract. I mean, so it's a microgel. And the microgels, the thing about the microgels is they get absorbed into your body. This is something I learned a few years back when I started taking Healthy Cell. When it was pointed out to me, you don't get the benefit of the chalky pills as you get with a microgel. It gets into your body. So, okay, cool. Anyways, usually we're talking about the code out loud. Today, I want to give you different information, my friends. And it is America 50. Use America 50. Uh, and go to healthycell.com forward slash out loud or click the banner ad back at America Out Loud. And guess what? You get 50% off. They've never done this. This is the first time ever uh, for Immune Super Boost. And it was just because we wanted something really unique and special for independence and America's celebration of our independence. And so for the full month of July, right now, 50% off with America 50 to take Immune Super Boost. How cool was that, Dr. McCullough? Boy, I got to tell you, I got to put that on the McCullough report. People kept asking me, how long is a discount going to happen? You know, so many people like to save money. They get the gratification. But the immune system of the nation is going to be boosted here. Uh, after we're done, I'm going to go downstairs and make sure my mother-in-law has one uh, tonight. Uh, you know, I can tell you, you can also go twice a day on some of these. People who are older, people with uh, gastrointestinal system disorders, people who are anemic, uh, have other medical problems, don't be afraid to go twice a day on vitamin supplementation. Uh, remember, if you go too hard on vitamin supplementation, the body eliminates it through either hepatic or renal routes. So you typically can't overdo it. And it, if there's a mistake, it's actually underdoing it. There you go. There you go. Let's take a real quick pause here, my fellow Americans, and we'll join you back on America Out Loud Pulse. 
in just a moment. Many Americans worry about their health four times a day. That's 120 times per month. To minimize the worries, leading nutritional supplement company, Healthy Cell, created Immune Super Boost, an immune supplement that contains full effective doses of science-backed nutrients like vitamin C, zinc, elderberry, and echinacea, all in a one-a-day, pill-free, ultra-absorption ingestible gel. Supporting a strong and resilient immune system can be simple. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off any order of Immune Super Boost. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code AMERICA50 for 50% off. The Genesis Fogger is critically important to breathing cleaner air, which is essential to good health. Almost no one is killing pathogens in the air where they pose the risk of transmission. We've been ridiculously focused on hand sanitizer and other measures where the problem is the microbes are in the air, including COVID-19. The Genesis Fogger is HOCL. It's a powerful tool, not only for living with COVID, but also removing harmful pathogens. Remember, if we have fewer virions in the air, much less likely to get a critical inoculum and actually get clinically sick. The same thing applies to the cold and flu, whether it be adenoviruses, coronaviruses, polymyxoviruses, influenza, viruses. And also, there are antibiotic-resistant superbugs. There can be ones, particularly that are airborne, including uh, Clostridium difficile, which is airborne and um, in contact mode. So uh, consider the Genesis Fogger that utilizes HOCL. The Genesis Fogger is perfectly designed. It's a machine that produces a fine dry mist using HOCL that quickly kills germs, bacteria, and viruses in the air and surfaces, and it does it simultaneously. So please go to uh, genesisfogger.com slash outloud and uh, get 15% off your purchase of the Genesis Fogger. That's where the upfront cost is going to be, and I can tell you, you're going to be happy you did it. So let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Welcome back to America Out Loud Pulse. It is Malcolm Out Loud here, along with Dr. Peter McCullough. It is always a privilege to be with you, to be sure. I, I tell you that every episode because, well, it's true. <laughs> it is my privilege to always have the opportunity to talk to America, and not only America and Americans, but people all over the globe. Australians, New Zealanders, Europeans love America Out Loud. We see the analytics and we know everybody, they listen, they love it. And uh, we, we appreciate you doing that, exactly. Let's get back to these questions right now. And uh, Richard says, Dr. McCullough, thank you so much my question relates to the recent podcast with dr chetty this was by the way a great show uh if you missed this um this was just this past weekend it's on podcast now uh on the mccullough report with dr peter mccullough so if you miss it on saturday and sunday and that first errand is 2 p.m by the way and there's an encore at seven saturday or sunday uh, you can pick it up on podcast, and it's on the front page right now at America Out Loud. Um, so uh, the, the recent show with Dr. Shetty and the feelings uh, in my lungs with the lack of elasticity at times and the inability uh, to take deep breaths. How do you treat and care for your lungs? I'm unvaccinated and refused it 
and lived life mostly normal. I did get COVID at the end of 2020, around Thanksgiving, through New Year's, before vaccines were available. I was not taken it anyways, he says. Uh, and I got Omicron in February, March. A lot of people got Omicron. It's the second run of that. Nothing too serious. Just this lung issue is really concerning. What do you say to that, Dr. McCullough? You know, it's a recovery period and exercise, pulmonary rehab. My mom has that situation right now. I thought uh, Dr. Chetty was incredible. I had waited for the interview for a long time. Uh, what a scholar and, a, and, a, and a, you know a, an observationalist. He's he's the really the old school of medicine. Uh, brilliant man. Um, I can tell you there are two programs. One I'm aware of in Dallas with Al Johnson. The other one with Michael Robb in Phoenix. With these pro- protracted pulmonary symptoms, they are empirically using hyperbaric oxygen where you go in a hyperbaric oxygen tank uh, periodically to clear it up. Johnson did it on himself at first, and I uh, oversaw it, and I watched his CT scan scan clear up. But this sense of stiffness, and you can't get a deep breath. My mom has it right now. And, um, you know, I think the answer is just more exercise, work your way through it. It takes time. My mom kept saying, when am I going to be better? I said, mom, when I had it, it was over 30 days before I was completely back to normal. Yeah. How old is your mom? My mom's 83. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, Paul says, um, hi, Malcolm and Dr. McCullough. Thank you for these Q&As. I recovered from pretty severe Delta infection in December. God bless you, Paul. I had several blood clots in both lungs and been put on Eliquist for six months. I heard on a previous Q&A that six months may not be long enough. What test should I get to see when it's safe to stop the Eliquist? I read that the usual blood clot and tests are not good indicators as the markers in the blood are caught up in the clots and are not showing up in the bloodstream. I'm afraid to stop the medication too soon, but I'm also eager to get done with it so I can take supplements to detox and boost immunity. Well, that's a good question right there. What do you think? Boy, I've been challenged with this one clinically. Um, If there were blood clots that were observable by ultrasound in the legs, I definitely would repeat the ultrasound before considering stopping. Uh, otherwise, if there weren't, we're left with uh, repeating what's called a pulmonary uh, CT angiogram to see if the clots are still present. Uh, we can measure D-dimer, which is influenced from uh, by a minor degree with Eliquis. If the D-dimer is still elevated, that could be a sign that the clots are still there. The reason why I'm so cautious, Malcolm, is they're not going away quickly. And if anything, I'm finding myself having patients go three, six, nine, even 12 months. Absolutely. All right. This next one is from Catherine. My ex-husband got my kids vaccinated against COVID and uh, against my will. My kids already had COVID and didn't get sick from it. Well, which is usually the case. That's my narrative. (laughs) A judge is going to decide uh, if my kids will get the second dose uh, toward the end of July and all subsequent boosters. My ex-husband is bringing my kid's pediatrician to testify in favor of the shot. Wow, this is where tears, this this is what kills me, these kinds of uh, messages, because it tears families apart and creates war with people. Uh, Could you please help me find a medical expert to come testify against it? I'm in Illinois. What do you say to somebody like that, to Miss Catherine? I can tell you, I've never seen a vaccine that's almost an instrument of evil. I mean, what vaccine wow. would, would define would divide families and have yeah. people? I mean, do we have this type of division for the meningococcal vaccine or the tetanus or pertussis? I mean, what is it about this one that makes you? Know, I mean, why would a judge have any competency 
in deciding, right? So uh, this is where people need to, um, you know, work together the best they can. In families, there's not ever, uh, it's rare that we have a family that's, you know, cleanly unvaccinated. There's typically a couple people who have taken it or through a whole series of divisive steps, it's happened. For this one, I would recommend uh, a pediatrician. I think pediatricians are a better source than adult doctors. I've seen on these that uh, in, in a court of law, they'll, they'll ask the expert, did you actually see and examine the patient? So I think the strongest thing would be a pediatrician uh, as an, an external second opinion with some type of WebEx or telemedicine appointment and, um, uh, and to go from there. Uh, many of the doctors who are uh, aligned with this type of thinking that the vaccines aren't sufficiently safe or effective are listed in the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons Home, uh, home Treatment and tre Treating Doctors Registry. And there you go, Catherine. And uh, you got to do your legwork on this. That's all I can tell you. You got to research, man. Got to got to really research. But what just McCullough laid down there is is pretty uh, pretty strong if you follow through and you and you do that. So, now Pam says my husband was hospitalized at the end of twenty one with a mild case of COVID. Wow, mild case was hospitalized. Hmm. Though we requested the monoclonal antibodies part of the hospitalization, and he appeared to qualify, he was unable to get them. Oh, I hear you, Pam. The hospital, however, was happy to admit him and administer remdesivir. Oh, boy, oh, boy. I see where this one's going. Which I demanded be stopped after two days. At the time, we did not know hospitals were being financially incentivized. This is sick, what I'm reading you right now. Incentivized to admit patients and administer remdesivir. Thankfully, he fully recovered from the experience. I did not isolate him uh, isolate from him prior to the hospitalization. However, thanks to your advice, I continue to use the povidine iodine and remained healthy. We both recently gave blood and neither of us had antibodies. Is it possible that my husband still has some for uh, some of uh, the immunity in the form of T cells? Yeah, it's very possible. You know, not everyone can hit the antibody um, thresholds to be positive on these tests. Now, typically the one used for donating blood is one of the lower thresholds to hit. But uh, you know, earlier in the pandemic, there was a paper published in Annals Internal Medicine that said 15% you know, of people can't hit the threshold to be positive. If there's ever a question, you can do the T-detect uh, test. You go to t-detect.com and do it. It costs about 200 bucks. But at this point in time, I think a well-characterized case where someone was positive and they were hospitalized, that's good enough. You don't have to prove your immunity. Now, knowing what I know now is I honestly would hang on to, to hang on to the wall or hang on to something in the ER and say, listen, you can't take me upstairs until you give me the monoclonal antibody infusion. Because as soon as they uh, admit somebody, uh, they will no longer offer them the monoclonal and then want to uh, feature remdesivir in order to get that hospital bonus. And you simply have to demand the monoclonal in the ER and say, listen, I'm not going to be admitted unless I get the monoclonal as an outpatient. And you're going to have to really demand that. Now, today I sent a patient who was pretty sick for monoclonals. And you know what happened? I got a call and the doc said, listen, I only got two doses left and I've got some sicker patients. I have to make a rational, I have to uh, ration the monoclonals. So uh, my patient didn't get them and some older sicker patients did. I got to tell you what, Malcolm, uh, there is a global suppression of early treatment for all the things that work, monoclonals, 
uh, hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, all the stuff that don't work, doesn't work so well is dangerous, like remdesivir and all the other drugs. There's no plenty of it out there. Right. Yeah. And it's pretty sick. It is absolutely pretty sick. You know, when you just say you just hit a nerve with me and you know, it's just everybody listening here when Dr. McCullough says, hang on to the wall. What are you saying there really is determination. It's your determination and persistency. And you have every right to do this, to get what you want. That's what you're really saying is, you know, you just can't go along with the system and whatever they're pushing on you, you've got to hang on to the wall. That's an interesting expression, Dr. McCullough, you know? It's so true. I had, I have all these people contact me. One time I had this lady uh, contact me and I can tell you, I, I could tell she was a real live wire. She goes, I'm going to get these monoclonal antibodies and I'm not going to get remdesivir and I'm going to get the steroids, whatever. And I said, go get them, tiger. So she went out there and then I came back and said, how'd it go? She goes, I got everything I wanted. So I think, <laughs> but I, I think it's really a matter of, you know, these types of people, you know who I'm talking about. These people that do not take no for an answer. Yeah. You, you know, you really have to advocate for yeah. yourself. Yeah, you do. you do. Yeah, I know these people like your wife and me. <laughs> Right, Peter. <laughs> it's so true. In fact, right now she's on the phone, uh, knocking, knocking out some issues and making sure everything is correct on the death certificate. And by the way, let me tell you, if anybody's ever had a loved one die, make sure the information on the death certificate is correct because you're going to rely on the death certificate for life insurance, for uh, pensions and everything else. My wife, I sent a, a copy to her. She goes, oh, they got a few things wrong. I say, get it corrected now because it'll screw up things for years in the future. Yeah, there you go. Hey, good advice. Uh, Sherry says, my friend at church had COVID in February. She had esophagus spasms and issues ever since. She wakes up feeling like she's having a heart attack. She's been to the ER several times. They just cannot find out the reason for her problem. She has not had the vaccine. Do you know what could be causing this? Or can you tell us what to do? Uh, to tell the doctor what to look for. She started to have panic attacks now because she feels like she might die. Wow. You know, that's a hard one. I'm lucky at our center in Dallas, we actually have an esophageal center and they do a variety of not just upper endoscopy, but they do manometry, they do acid testing, wow. helicobacter pylori. You know, there's an illness that develops uh, that I've really developed an appreciation for. It's called eosinophilic esophagitis. And when this happens, there's inflammation in the esophagus, it spasms, people don't feel right. It's actually correct. It's, you have to make a diagnosis and these specialized centers do it, but it is correctable with medications and diet. So I advise this person find an esophageal center and get advanced diagnostics. Okay. All right. Uh, this one is from Doug. He says, I'm 37 years old pregnant in my third trimester. This is for his wife, by the way, he's not pregnant. <laughs> I have to qualify that. So he's 37 years, the wife is pregnant in her third trimester and was recently diagnosed with an um, intertrial septal aneurysm uh, during an echocardiogram. Wow. My OBGYN advised me not to do anything that would increase my risk for stroke because my condition puts me at high risk. But then she advised me to take the COVID vaccine, which shocked me. I declined. But what are your thoughts? I'm hoping other people with my condition can benefit from your answer. What do you say to that? An intraatrial septal aneurysm is just a congenital finding when there's, there's a closure of a natural hole in the heart called the 
Peyton and Freeman O'Valley, it closes like a little door that closes over it. When that door itself kind of waves back and forth and it's aneurysmal, it's called the intraatrial septal aneurysm. It is slightly increased uh, risk of stroke with this, but it's very slight. And I can tell you the last thing you want to do is take a COVID-19 vaccine and make the blood thick. Remember the COVID-19 vaccine makes blood mm, clots. That's right. So, uh, you, you know, you don't want to make blood clots in the middle of pregnancy. Uh, so I, I agree, decline the vaccine and keep the stroke, stroke risks down. All right, there you oh, go. Malcolm, I have to say one thing. Uh, a lot of people know Justin and Haley Bieber. Uh, Haley Bieber, his wife, it was disclosed that she had a patent frame in O'Valley. So uh, that door didn't close in her. So some blood could scoot back and forth. And apparently she took the vaccine. The blood became hypercoagulable. She formed a clot and it shot across there and she had a stroke. Oh, okay. Boy. So she is pretty close to the example we just heard with this mm. uh, pregnant woman. And then of course, Justin Bieber, he developed Ramsey hunt syndrome, which that. is well described after vaccination. Well described. So he had the vaccine and the wife did too. Well, you know, we're assuming because, you know, he would not let, let people go to his concerts unless they took the vaccine. So, you know, one of the problems here is they never say, Nope, we didn't take it. And they, they, they don't say, Oh yeah, we did. And we regret it. So they, they go silent on this. And so their silence makes us assume they probably had it. Yeah, that's uh, no. And the way you just laid it out would be pretty sure that they did. Uh, a lot of people in the public space doing that. I, I don't really understand. Well, I, it's hard to understand those people as to why they, they, they do that because they, uh, they, um, they change a lot of people's minds and not for the better. Sadly, with with the Bieber case that you're sharing Uh, this other one, let me get in here. Karen, is there a protocol available for a breastfed infant that has recently been shed on by vaxxed relatives? He is running fever and lethargic. This child's parents are not vaxxed and have had COVID. You know, up on my Twitter feed is a recent paper that I, I think really increases the concern regarding exactly this vignette. And it is a paper, I'll see if I can get the first author for us here, Malcolm, but it is a paper that actually used new lab techniques and actually measured the RNA in the bloodstream of those who took the vaccine. And uh, they were able to find the RNA circulating in the bloodstream uh, uh, within easily within 30 days of taking it. So this is really worrisome because uh, now we have a situation where not only the spike protein is circulatory, that was shown in the paper by um, Elena Agatis and colleagues from Harvard, but now we have this recent paper actually showing that the RNA is detected. I found the paper. The first author is Tudor Emmanuel Fertig, and he's from the Institute of Pathology in Romania, titled the paper in biomedicine, it's called Vaccine Messenger RNA Can Be Detected in Blood at 15 Days Post-Vaccination. Uh, some of them extended out longer. Why does this matter? Because if it's in blood, it almost certainly is in all the secretions, sweat, uh, saliva, urogenital secretions, breast milk, so this is actually worse than transmitting the spike protein. This is transmitting the genetic material. Wow. All right. All right. There you go. All right. This um, one is from Megan. 
thank you for speaking truth and for all you've done with this broadcast. I've chosen a delayed and selective vaccine schedule with my older kids. I'm about to need to start vaccines with our youngest. I have always been hesitant, but I feel very hesitant towards any of the childhood vaccines right now. I've lost trust in the vaccine manufacturers. Yeah. Do you think there is any cause for concern over safety of the childhood vaccines? I've heard some people saying they are also worried that they may be trying to uh, avoid or to, uh, oh, to add COVID-19 vaccines to those vaccines, Dr. McCullough, I see what she's saying here, into other vaccines. Any thoughts? Would you feel comfortable getting your child vaccine at this time? You know, Dr. McCullough, this person here, Megan, I said this to you probably last year, these people are going to destroy the entire vaccine industry and darn well they're doing it. They are. People have lost their trust. And, um, you know, on top of that, remember, most of the vaccines came out back when we didn't have treatments for the disorder. So, for instance, you know, we have um, antibiotics that covered diphtheria, pertussis, uh, even clostridium tetani can be treated with antibiotics. Uh, we don't have ready treatments for hepatitis B. I think a healthcare worker, hepatitis B is pretty compelling. Um, you know, the, these types of situations now, people have lost their trust. I had on the McCullough Report, Paul Thomas. And Paul is a pediatrician in Oregon. And years ago, this is before COVID, he took the attitude, he goes, I'm going to let parents decide on the vaccine schedule. I'm not going to railroad vaccines uh, on my pediatric population. You know what? They took his license away for that. Wow. Took his license away. And so you know what he did? He commissioned a study. He commissioned a study of those who were fully vaccinated and those who were not, you know, the childhood vaccine schedule. And it turned out the unvaccinated were healthier. They had less autoimmune problems, less asthma, less uh, chronic inflammatory conditions, less neurodegenerative, neuropsychiatric conditions. And there's several other papers like this. And it's raising the question is, have we gone too far with the childhood vaccine schedule? Um, and people uh, hold out the example of, you know, within the first day, the babies are getting the hepatitis B shot. I mean, how, do, how does a baby's immune system begin to react to hepatitis, hepatitis B surface antigen day one? Um, it, it, it seems like it, 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 we're at a breaking point now where I think vaccines are going to have to be uh, basically driven by risk. So if it's a healthcare worker, an IV drug abuser, okay, hepatitis B, fine. If it's uh, someone who's, uh, uh, you know, maybe working remotely, like an oil rigger, whatever you, a tetanus shot because he could have cuts and not have access to antibiotics, uh, Okay. I just think it's going to have to be risk-driven as opposed to just blanketing, carpet bombing these kids with over 70 vaccines. People have lost their trust. I'll tell you, as an adult internal medicine cardiology physician, I'll tell you two vaccines I've lost my trust on. I personally am not going to take. Okay. The influenza shot. This year, the influenza shot had vaccine efficacy of 16%, wow. which is why, why risk any immune reaction? Yeah. For 16%. Remember, if you don't get 50% vaccine efficacy, and if it doesn't last a year, it's, it's thought not to be even worth it to take in your body. The other one is the 13-valent pneumococcal vaccine published in JAMA is protection 9%. That means we don't have a single shot that in the arm that protects against a respiratory infection at all. So, uh, you know, I think there is a concern. People have actually, people are tired of hearing the world vaccine. And now they're talking about 
Uh, Moderna's talking about 15 different genetic vaccines, talking about uh, trying to get on the childhood schedule, you know, on and on and on. Parents are retracting for good reason. You know, the human body's not designed for this, in my opinion, and God Almighty didn't create the human body for this sort of uh, uh, exploitation, I would say to you. So, no, I, I don't I don't subscribe to any of this. Uh, Ruby says, does the Moderna vaccine ever get out of your body? We don't know. The paper by Rolkin and colleagues uh, in Cell from Stanford showed it's in the lymph nodes 60 days, and that's as long as I've looked. We honestly don't know if it ever gets out of your body. Okay. Uh, DJ says, I've not gotten COVID nor had COVID. I'm 62 in good health with no comorbidities. Would there be any reason for getting a vaccine at this point in time? Oh, good God. I could answer this, DJ. No. Go ahead, Dr. McCullough. Yeah, the, the vaccines have lost their uh, efficacy. You've gone this far. It's one of two oh. things. You have a healthy microbiome or you're not going to get it. Or you're going to be one of the final stragglers who gets tagged with a late version of Omicron. You'll do fine anyway. Mm -hmm. So I, I would defer on the vaccine right now. And you know, I'm not against vaccines. If there was something, if yeah, there was yeah. a nasal mist, mm -hmm. uh, very effective benign vaccine in the future, I'd be all for it. Yeah, yeah. No, you're not against vaccines. I've seen it front and personal. You're not at all. So this misnomer that somehow we're anti-vax is totally rubbish, people. Doesn't exist. Um, I mean, it's really about safety and uh, just pure out efficacy of what matters and, and uh, our bodies and not this trickery that's going on out there. Roger says, I've heard the information regarding blood clots that develop post-vaccination, but I've not seen much information regarding increased blood pressure other than short term in the days following vaccination. My wife, whom is fully vaccinated, wow, and in her early 50s has developed high blood pressure over the past year. That's exactly it. I've seen this in, 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 as well. I don't know the exact time in which it passed the threshold uh, from below 140.90, but it seems to have been post-vax. She's now running at about 175 over 100 to 181.10. She went to our doctor whom placed her on medication, attributed the recent increase to the, to the beginning of menopause. Of course, of course. Uh, Staten, the, the drop in estrogen has contributed to the increase. I tend to believe that there may be some clotting that has caused the increase. Do you have any information that might shed some light on the situation? No, I don't think it's due to blood clots, uh, you know, if there's no clinical manifestations of them. But I have clearly seen in my practice people who get fully vaccinated who have an increase in heart rate and blood pressure, and it's sustained over a period of time. Uh, there is a paper in the journal Hypertension where there's acute hypertensive crises and intracranial hemorrhage. And on my Twitter feed, uh, a paper from Burhild and colleagues from three uh, Nordic countries that describe 7,750 patients with intracranial hemorrhage after COVID-19 vaccines, AstraZeneca wow. and Pfizer and Moderna, which is a staggering number. I mean, I just can't believe that you know, this comes out in JAMA that you take a vaccine and within 28 days, 7,750 people have neurologic catastrophes. I mean, again, it's in the wide open. What I'm telling the listener is that likely this is not a blood clot. This is obviously not a bleeding into the brain. This is the vaccine affecting the adrenal glands and the sympathetic nervous system where the body in a sense has had a resetting of blood pressure higher. The numbers that are given are far too high blood pressure uh, lowering medication needs to be uh, used. I've tried a variety of them, 
because I think this is driven through the sympathetic nervous system, I think the class of drugs I tend to go to are beta blockers. That would be atenolol, metoprolol. My go-to drug in the post-vaccinated is natalol because it allows some what's called intrinsic sympathomimetic activity. And it's just that this is, uh, I hope, temp temporary, but you can't let the blood pressure be in the 170s. It's in a range where spontaneous stroke could happen. Blood pressure lowering is needed. Uh, also, uh, reducing salt in the diet and alcohol can help in getting the blood pressure down. Malcolm, I see we're nearly out of time. I want just a minute uh, to, show, to show respect and to give my condolences to the family of Dr. Vladimir Zelenko. Dr. Zelenko, many know Zev Zelenko, uh, born in 1973, died uh, in the last a week or so in 2022. He died of a metastatic sarcoma. Uh, he's featured in my book, uh, Courage to Face COVID-19. In fact, Zev came to Dallas and we filmed together. I met him personally and, and his, uh, his colleagues, uh, a wonderful, wonderful human being. He was one of the first in Monroe, New York, to get out there and start treating COVID. He used first to use the word mass casualty situation, which it was. He had communications with the White House. He did the best he could. He was an advocate for his patients. He was a beacon of courage. And we want to pay him the highest respects uh, to his life and his contributions. He's I'm so happy that he was the senior author on the second McCullough Protocol paper to give him full credit for his innovation and how he contributed to the field. And uh, his legacy will live on forever. He contributed to a very, very important time in history where we knew, and he helped us understand that we needed to treat the illness early to avoid hospitalization and death. That's exactly, yeah. No, I mean, what you say there is beautiful. Um, there's a couple of other uh, stories on America Out Loud for you to read. Uh, Dr. Peter Bregan, Ginger Ross Bregan have, uh, if you go to the front page, Vladimir Zev Zelenko, the most courageous man we've ever known. Beautiful picture of him there. Also, Dr. Henry Ely has a tribute to Dr. Zelenko and American heroes everywhere. And there are others as well, my fellow Americans, that you can look at. Obviously, a true hero. And uh, thank you uh, for bringing that up. That is uh, beautiful. You know, the last thing I was saying, he died way too young, brother. He died in his 40s, and uh, he was a real fighter. Mason, remarkable. Um, and I'll leave you with this quote here. This sums up the moment right now that Dr. McCullough and I are sharing with you here. Life is too short to be anything but happy. So kiss slowly, love deeply, forgive quickly, take chances and never have regrets. Forget the past, but remember what it taught you. I love that quote. It's on the front page right now of americaoutloud.com. In fact, on the left sidebar, it's from uh, Abhishek Shakula there. Uh, take a look at that. Love, love that quote. Uh, my fellow Americans and my friends around the globe, thank you for joining us here on America Out Loud Pulse. We're always a beat of hair.